at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone come gather round, listen to your favorite sound. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. And we welcome you to another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdall, C70. It's about at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Redbird, a Medlock one on Twitter. Joining us this week is Rob Range. You'll find him at the sports page, Rob Brains on Twitter. Rob, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, before we get into the Cardinals and all that, uh, you know, I figure like most of our audience should know you and your history, but you know, you tweeted out this week, this is what your 41st opening day. You've been doing this a while. Tell us a little bit about how, how this career of yours has gone. Been great. I mean, actually, I, I tell people it's a shame that I don't have to work for a living. You know, I mean, I, I tell <laughs> people, I'll say, you know, I've got to go to work. I go, I'm going to the ball game. So, you know, it's, I, and, I can't think of anything else I would have rather have done. I mean, it's just been a very luck, lucky, very blessed to have been able to to do this for as long as I have. And it doesn't feel like it's been 41 years. Now, and you've written, I mean, besides the, the normal things, you've written a slew of books. I was talking to yeah. Alan earlier on that, you know, I re- remembered reading your book with Ozzie Smith back right. in, what, 88, 89, that it came out. That was um, the first one. Yeah, and I and and you've had a number since then. I've read of some as well. How many books yep. do you have under your under your belt now? Uh, Thirty three. Thirty three. Wow. That's incredible. Um, is there one that stands out the most for you? The the two I talk about the most are one was Jack Buck's autobiography because it was just a, a really fun project to to do and to spend all the time that we got to spend together working on it. And it you know it and I think it was just a, a really interesting book because it was the one that. I think surprised the people because he talked an awful lot about things that didn't have anything to do with sports, didn't have anything to do with baseball. There was about, you know, growing up in the, in the depression and, and fighting in world war two and working on or, or boats on the great lakes and uh, the civil rights movement. You know, I mean, there was just a lot of things that he got into. There was just a lot of, a lot of fun projects. So that was number one. I, I always consider that, you know, basically the, my, my favorite book of all time, the, the two, two other ones I'll mention. One is obviously the biography that I did on Mark McGuire, Home run hero the year that he won the or set the home run record um, because that actually made the New York Times bestseller list for a couple of weeks was trans- translated into Chinese and Japanese and it was just you know it, it was a, also you know kind of a, a fun project just because of what how the success and what turned out to, to be and then the third one which has not been a big book but it was something I had a lot of fun doing is the, the only novel that I've ever written was a book called The Curse what I wrote with, co-wrote with Andy Van Slyke that when we were doing the radio show together here in St. Louis for a long time, he had the idea to do it. And it was about the Cubs winning the world series. And it came out about the same time, a couple of years before the Cubs actually won the world series. Uh, but there was a mystery involved to it and a, basically a plane crash and some things like that, that turns out to be, wasn't an accident. So that was a real fun, fun project to do as well. So I would, those, those would be the highlights. I think. That's a, I hadn't heard about that one. Was it, was it hard to, to write about the Cubs? After all that time, I know you've done some non Cardinals. No, it was sports. it was fiction. It was fiction, so it was easy. I could say whatever I wanted. To. <laughs> but it was hard because I actually won, you know. So yeah. I mean, that was- <laughs> um, I, and I, the one of the books that, I, that stood out to me, uh, it was, it's not your most recent, I don't think, but is the uh, intentional walk that you did, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. one about the faith in sure. not only the Cardinal players but throughout the system. I really liked that one. It was a, a, a thought yeah. that I'd had before, yeah. so. Yeah, that came out in 2013. It was, you know, based on guys who were in the organization in 2012 when we wrote the book, and it was fun. It was it was a fun project. There was a lot of interesting guys. I thought actually that there's, you know, maybe enough guys on the team now to revisit doing that again uh, at some point here when we get past COVID and you get to actually talk to people in person instead of on Zoom and and develop those relationships with them and stuff. But it was, you know, Wainwright and Carpenter pretty much the only two guys left that were were in that book at the time. But it was it was fun. There was a lot of neat guys with neat stories to tell and how they how they found their faith and how they you know ex- tried to live their lives uh, you know in a godly fashion and you know Matheny obviously was the manager of the time and he was a key part of the book as well Matt Holiday so it was you know Lance Berkman Carlos Beltran there was just a lot of really interesting people on that on that team and, and who were lucky enough you know nice enough to, to help me out and participate in the book 
Yeah, and Mike Schultz in, in that one, isn't he? Yes, he is. No, he's in. He's actually in in the one. He, he's actually in the one called Taking Flight, which is oh. a book about the farm system, which came out about the same time. But and he is a very strong, you know, Christian guy. But he was not in that. He was in the he was in the other one that the taking flight, which came out with you know different guys at different levels of the system. He had actually Ali Marmel was in that as well, and, and uh, Alex Reyes and a few other other guys are on the team now. So, what is the most recent one you've written? Then the most recent one was the one that came out a couple of years ago called All Roads to St. Louis. It was a different mm-hmm. kind of book. It was a minor league kind of travel log kind of book. We went and did all visited all the cities in the Cardinals minor league system. My wife Sally and I did a couple of years ago, and and. Uh, it, it was like, you know, other things to do in the town, restaurants, hotels, the, the history of the ballpark, you know, just, just kind of like a more of a, a travel guide thing. We go up uh, AAA and the Drury Hotels cooperated with us and, and kind of funded the project. So it was, it was, uh, you know, it, unfortunately kind of now we got two teams that are in the book, Johnson City and State College, that are no longer part of the Yeah. Based on their current changes in the minor league system. But it was, it was, it was a fun project to do. Good. I always enjoy the minor leagues. I mean, you know, it's, that was one of the hardest, hardest parts about the, the COVID last year and canceling the minor league season was you know, I always try to go to, you know, a bunch of minor league games a year and write a bunch of stories about prospects. And that's how I get to know a lot of the guys when they get to the big league levels. I've already talked to them and written about them and developed relationships with them when they were in the minor leagues. And that's that's something that we didn't get to do last year. So I'm hoping that, you know, that we do get to do that again this year and that the minor league seasons do get started here next month like they're supposed to. Yeah, that's uh, you know it's been a quite a, a change to to not be able to do a lot of different things. I guess the COVID, as we've talked to other media people this over this last couple of months about how COVID uh, changed how they did things. It it really has thrown everybody for a loop, didn't it? Well, it's just it's one of those things that you can't. I mean, you know, I I, I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent, but I like to do different kinds of stories. I like to do you know longer form stories and and bigger feature pieces, and you just haven't had the access to do those. They're not the kind of things you're going to, uh, you know, do on a Zoom call because you got, you know, 15 other people on there. And that's not as much an issue as the fact that, you know, the interviews will take 15 or 20 minutes and they don't have to give you that kind of time on, on Zoom. So, you know, when everybody else wants to ask their questions. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's level the playing field, but it has a little bit because everybody has, only has access to the same information. So like the, the pieces that I did that were a little bit different and, you know, for our website, stlsportspage.com in spring training, the ones, the only ones that were different were guys that I already happen to have a phone number for that I could call and say, Hey, you know, I want to do this story. So that was, uh, it, was it was a little bit of a challenge and, and you do have to kind of just roll with the punches and, and get through it. You've had a, like you said, 41 opening days. You've had a career that has spanned a lot of different, technologies and media. I mean, things were a lot different. I'm sure that first opening day than they were <laughs> this last one. Yeah. Um, how, how, how have you, how have you, I don't know what even the question I want to ask here. Um, how is that transition? Been? Yeah, it's, it's been different. I mean, I think like, well, the first one I did was the one I was working for United Press International, which is of course now basically out of business. Now it was the back in that, back in the day, then you had two wire services, the Associated Press and UPI. And I was the St. Louis sports guy for, for UPI. So the way that worked was, was, you know, I didn't even have a computer by back then or a laptop computer. We had computers in the office, but you know, I would just go to the, the ballpark and, and for your, quick story that came out, you know, like immediately after the game was over, you called, you just called it into the desk in New York and they took the dictation over the phone and then you got gathered the quotes and everything and went back to the office to write the, the PM, what they call the PM story, which is the, uh, you know, after we had enough afternoon newspapers at the time that you had two stories, one for the morning paper and one for the afternoon paper. So um, that, that basically is how that, that has changed over the years is that, you know, we didn't even have, you know, I didn't have that technology to do that. The hard, hardest part about that one time was actually not even a baseball game. It was a hockey game. I was covering a Blues, Blues Penguins playoff game. And I believe it was 1981, but it was, went to, it was the fifth game of the five-game series and it went to double overtime and the Blues won. Mike Crombean scored a goal for anybody that remembers the Blues fans back in the early 80s. And the Blues won and it was at the old checker dome and the building was so loud that I was on the phone dictating the story to the desk in Kansas City, and I couldn't hear them. I had no idea if they were listening to what I was saying or not. I was just talking blindly and hoping they were there getting it down. Crazy. Wow. And and to go from that to now, you're running your own website um, yeah. and being able to pretty much write kind of what you want to write. Yeah. What's, what's that like? 
It was that's been really really encouraging, really a, a blessing. We had how that all came about was I did a radio show here in St. Louis a few years ago, actually with my son BJ Rains, who um, was at the time was working for Fox Sports Midwest when they were actually running a, a website as well. And so we did a daily talk show, and we actually started the website just as a way to kind of promote the radio show and to put like the archived interviews and things like that on the on the site, and then. As radio stations kind of tend to do sometimes, they decided to change formats from an all-sports station to a different format. So we lost the show. And actually, about the same time, BJ ended up getting another job and moving out of town. He's now in Boise, Idaho, covers Boise State football for the Idaho Press uh, newspaper out there. And it's done really well. But uh, we went to all the advertisers that were with us on the on the radio show and said, hey, here's what we're thinking about doing. We're just going to kind of go full bore on the website. And I think that was in 2012, if I remember about then. And uh, they all said, yeah, we're all, all in stuck. And we still have the majority of those advertisers are still with us today. So uh, it's a free website. We don't charge anybody for any of the content. And luckily, thanks to the advertisers, we've been able to, to make it work. So that is the beauty of, of working for your yourself. I kind of related to when Whitey Herzog was both the manager and general manager of the Cardinals. One of his most famous quotes was he said, I could go to sleep and have a meeting. Um And I think that was kind of the same, same way I think about running the website. You're right. I don't have to, you know, we, obviously we, we, you know, do have other people to answer to and we have things we have to worry about, but you know, I, I get to kind of pick and choose what I, what I do, which is very rewarding, very fresh, yeah. very fresh. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I read all the time. I try to be interactive on your, uh, on your giveaways and stuff like that too. I love it. We, do have, a, we it, do have a newsletter too. I know that you probably guys are both on it, but anybody else listening, I want to sign up. Uh, we do have, you know, occasional newsletters and we do have contests. We just had a nice little fun thing. We did a pepper alley the other night before the home opener and we did a little thing with prop bets for uh, the home opener. So uh, anybody that's listening that doesn't, uh, you know, get on the subscription list, you can just go to stlsportspage.com, go to the contact us page and give us your email and we'll get you on there. We don't, you know, send them out, you know, uh, too much to bother you, but uh, whenever anything special is going on and get in some of the contests and stuff. Yeah, it's great coverage. The uh, uh, It's funny. I, I grew up in eastern Oklahoma, so grew up with a ton of Cardinals fans. And, of course, with, there's a lot of Cardinals heritage around here with the with the uh, Oilers used to be the AAA farm club for the, sure. for the Redbirds and everything. But outside pre-internet days, uh, outside of the Tulsa world and some of the ESPN stuff, your coverage with uh, the Baseball Weekly was the best mm-hmm. Cardinals coverage that we would get around here. So it was funny because I read all your stuff back then, and that was, you know, high school, college days. And then it, what yeah. was great is when I got into Twitter, one of the big contacts was BJ. And I was thinking, I went, it's just kind of funny how it kind of comes full circle. And I didn't realize it's, I mean, has he been in Boise now close to 10 years, probably? You think? About eight now. Yeah, I, mean, I was, I was going to say, like 2013, he was up there and moved there. Wow. Time flies. I just remember how all the connection was. And, I shouldn't miss Baseball Weekly, even with all the coverage we can get now. That was one of my yeah, favorites. That's I, that was actually I, – I, I talk about you know this being fun to get in a pick and choose, but that was the first two years, the first year especially that we started Baseball Weekly. It started in 1991. I was hired as the National League beat writer. I'd been a correspondent for them in St. Louis, so I knew some of the people at USA Today, and they you know luckily you know was able to get hired to, to be the first National League baseball writer, you know, beat writer when we started the paper. And what was fun was because it was a totally new thing. They had basically no – budget they had no idea what to do so i would say go in there and say hey i want to go you know do these couple of stories and be gone about 10 days okay see you you know um <laughs> you know kind of and again that was kind of at the time now that the, one of the things that's happened that since it's changed is that usa today and baseball we could kind of merged in that now you're basically working for the same organization and you don't know when you write a story if it's going to be in the daily paper or the weekly but we had separate staff separate offices you know, I was writing just for the weekly, uh, it was pre-Twitter days. So, you know, you just didn't have to, you know, had time to put in to research stories, to go interview people. And it was just, you know, it was, really was a, a fun job and a fun project there. And of course, then once, you know, we were around for a while, they decided to say, you know, bosses got in the way and budgets got in the way and things changed a little bit, but it was those first couple of years were, were really a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Funny story. Well, I used to buy them at the, at the newsstand at uh, Tulsa County stadium. We, we were, the drillers were the uh, Rangers affiliate at this time, but mm-hmm. it was right next to Tulsa fair meadows where the horse races were going on. Yeah. So my, my best friend's mother would drop my best friend and I off at the ballpark well before it was, they were looking for post time. We were there hours before first pitch. So we would always buy the new, new edition at the uh, newsstand there at the ballpark. 
Well, we would also stay out late after the game until they picked us up after all the races were finished, and the opposing team would would wait right out in front of us for the bus. There wasn't a night that we did not have an, a, a, an edition of Baseball Weekly that 10 players from the opposing team would ask to read it so they could try to read their name in some of the minor league edition. It happened all the time. That's funny. That is funny. Yeah, those are those are fun times. Yeah. So let's let's shift a little bit then and talk about the current current squad. Cardinals sure. have had a, a week now, and they've had a remarkable home opener uh, yesterday. Um, even before all that, though, the Arenado deal. Given your history, where would you rank that as in Cardinal histories on a deal? Well, I, I don't know that you can rank it right now because there's two things. You don't know if he's going to, and I don't see it happening, but mm. the opt-outs are in the contract, which would change the, you know, the, the dynamics of the, of the deal. If he's here for, you know, two years or, or 10, you know, um, but I think just on the surface of what it means to the small club and it's got to be right at the top. I mean, you know, the, the Brock Brolio trade is always going to be, you know, the, the trade that you compare other trades to uh, because of the fact that you're, you know, got a guy that went to the hall of fame, uh, you know, the McGuire trade was was obviously a big boost to this club, you know, but it didn't translate into playoff and, you know, World Series success, certainly like the Brock did. So so I think you just have to kind of wait and see and see, you know, where it ends up being. But I think on the surface, it's it's right at the top. I mean, it was just two things. One is the kind of player that he is and what he means to this ball club. And the second thing is when you look at what they had to give up, which you know, I, and I'm not going to disparage any of the players that they traded. You know, Gomber's a fine big league pitcher, and the other guys could develop into big league pitchers. But to, to do that trade and not really give up the players that I consider to be the top prospect, any of the top prospects in any organization, mm-hmm. and you get, oh, by the way, the Rockies will pay you $50 million to, to you know, help offset mm-hmm. the cost of the contract. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, it just was a phenomenal deal. Were you surprised that they pulled the trigger on that, given the – you know, given last year and the, and the payroll issues and all that kind of stuff. No, not when you look at the financial terms of it. I mean, they're paying; they're not even paying Arenado this year. The Rockies right. are covering all the the salary, and they've got all that money coming off the books. You know, after this year with guys that they're probably not going to bring back, so you know they can afford it. You know, going forward. So, it, from a financial standpoint, it's not a bad deal at all. Especially again, you know, again with the Rockies kicking in all that money. Um, you know, he's the kind of player that they've talked about forever. And anytime you ever made a wish list of guys you wish the Cardinals would trade for, he was his name was always at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised that it happened. I, I didn't see it happening, but it's it certainly was uh, you know was very refreshing that they went out and did it. And he's paid dividends already. Yeah, too. so far. Um, oh, he's just been terrific. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of a little bit. Cardinal fans are a little bit uh, gun shy at times because we've brought in some players that. Um, haven't necessarily translated on the field as well as we thought to, but so far so good for Nolan Arenado. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know that you could ask for anything better. I don't know that you could ask for anything else that he hasn't done to this point. Yeah. To, to, to win the game yesterday in such a dramatic fashion. I mean, that, I mean, if you were writing the story beforehand, you probably would have had that moment in there and then thought, no, that couldn't happen. Yeah, it's, it's not a movie. Yeah, it's, it's a, a real-life baseball game. Here's here's a stat, which I was going to use tomorrow, but I'll give you an inside look tonight. I, I spent some time today trying to do a little deep dive into the significance of that home run mm-hmm. and the fact that it came in the home opener, the fact that it came in the eighth inning of a tie game. I can only find, or I don't know how much farther back I would get, but, I, but in the research that I did, I went back to 1955 before I found somebody who had a home run to win the ball game in the eighth inning or later when they were playing their first game at home as a Cardinal. Wow. And that was Bill, Bill, Bill Verdon, his rookie year, hit a walk-off home run in the 11th inning to beat the Milwaukee Braves 8-7. to seven. That's the only other time that it seems like it's, you know, like Goldschmidt hit a home run in his first game, but it didn't, it didn't change the outcome of the game, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were home runs that were earlier in the ball game and things like that. So, to, to uh, you know, that, that, that just shows you that those things just don't happen all that often. Yeah, yeah, that's remarkable to, to, to go all that way that far back uh, to have that to happen. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, so overall, I mean, we've seen a week of the Cardinals. We've seen some of the issues that we thought that the Cardinals might have. We've seen some different things. What's your take on this team just, you know, uh, seven days yeah. in? I think they're still a very good team. I still think they're the best team in the division. Uh, they're not the best team in the league, but I, I think that the issues with the starting pitching will work itself out. You're going to get Kim back probably maybe one more turn through the rotation for he's going to come back and you have to hope that he pitches well. 
Uh, Michael was still a little bit farther away. I was encouraged by Ponce de Leon's start because I thought he was, you know, certainly had much more control than he's had before. Walks have always been the issue with him. He's always going to throw a lot of pitches because he gets a lot of foul balls off those, you know, high right forcing fastballs. So he's never going to always be a, you know, seven or eight inning pitcher. But as long as he doesn't walk guys and give up a lot of runs, he's going to keep his team in the ball game. So uh, I was encouraged by that. I'm, you know, full. Um, Flaherty's second start was much better than the first start, which you kind of give him a mulligan on because of the, the weather being bad in Cincinnati. And what I'll get is look at the fact that Luis Castillo gave up 10 runs and he's a former all-star pitcher mm-hmm. too in that game. So, um, so I, I'm still not, and, and Wainwright's going to be, you know, Wainwright. So I think that the starting pitching is going to be okay. I think the bullpen is going to still be one of the team's strengths. Not really worried about it at all. Uh, I think the offense, you know, Arenado we talked about, it's going to be a big plus. They still got to get some guys other than Dylan Carlson performing in the outfield that's that's kind of one one thing that's not worked out well so far yeah yeah. uh, how much can not even just the weather but Cincinnati went on and uh scored a ton of runs their next series too are they just hot or their bats you know I mean that's one of those I I don't know how much we can quantify that yeah they're a team that's really interesting because everybody thought they'd be a lot better team offensively last year than they were, you know, they were, you got, you know, you got some really good hitters. Castellanos is obviously a good player. Suarez is a good player. Votto can hit, you know, they, they've had guys that could be good offensive players on that team and they just didn't, didn't do anything last mm-hmm. year. So I think, you know, which one is, you know, the, 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 the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. You know, they're, they're obviously hot. They're playing at home, which is a, a hitter's paradise yeah, to, yeah. to play in that ballpark. So are they as good as they've been for the first week? Probably not. Are they better than the team that played last year? Probably uh, but I, I still think the Cardinals have got a better club than that. Yeah, they just also got to play Pittsburgh for three games, so that, that helps anybody. Um, Goldschmidt out with a back yesterday. Have you heard anything today? I ha- I hadn't seen anything. About I'm not, uh, not, we didn't have any contact with anybody today. It's kind of a dead day as far as – so we won't really know anything until tomorrow morning. Uh, they said it was day-to-day was the stat report we got last night after the game. It just tightened up apparently on the plane home – playground home from Miami. So uh, he, he you know, wasn't able to do anything baseball-related yesterday. So I'm sure he's getting – I'm sure he was at the ballpark today getting treatment and, and you know – They've got a lot of high tech. You know, you talk about high tech and the computers and things like that. They've got high tech stuff that we don't even know what it does uh, for medical treatments anymore. So, you know, I'm sure he's getting all that, you know, treatment that they can and try to get him out on the field tomorrow. But wouldn't surprise me if it's another day or two just to be cautious and to take their time and make sure it doesn't turn into anything, uh, any bigger deal. It so far doesn't sound like it's a big deal. And, that, and that's good because this team, you know, even adding Arnado seems like you said, they need to get something out of the outfield. They need a little bit more offense. If they're without Goldschmidt for any length of time, it's kind of a, you know, you've added one and you're taking away the same. Yeah. It changes the dynamics a little bit of the, of the lineup. I mean, I liked the, you know, better than I thought I would. I like Goldschmidt and Arnado hitting two and three. Cause I like that idea of getting him up in the first inning. I was probably not something I would have done with the lineup. I, you know, I'm bullish on Dylan Carlson. I've, yeah. I've covered him since he was drafted. We've written a lot of stories about him in five years over the years. I've talked about my interest in the minor leagues, and I just think he's, you know, ready to, to shine. I mean, I, I think he'd be an ideal number two hitter. And if you want to, if, if you're going to put Goldschmidt two and Arenado three, I'm okay with that, but then I'd bet Carlson four. So, I mean, I think that's, they've got to find a way to get him up higher in the lineup at some point here. Yeah. And I, I would, you know, hopefully, after the, another day of, of good performance like yesterday, that'll happen. It also, you know, if, on the flip side of that, you know, if Goldschmidt's out, mm-hmm. is that Nagowski or is it again Matt Carpenter who we saw on opening? I think that would be a mashup thing. I, I do think Carpenter was going to play the home opener right? no matter if Goldschmidt was in the lineup or not because the, I think it was a sentimental decision. But he also, you know, thought the matchup was good. He had some numbers against Burns and, and things like that. So Car- he was going to play second uh, if Goldschmidt was playing first. Edmund was going to play right. So, um, but I think that the sentiment of not, you know, that the you know, home opener was a factor in that decision that you're not going to have a factor now going forward. So he's going to earn his playing time now based on, you know, performance. So if he's out, I wouldn't be surprised to give Nagowski the the, the – nod for you know a couple of starts there and, and see what he can do are you optimistic on carpenter i mean you've watched him his whole career yeah. i mean how's he look i wish i was i wish i was uh but i'll tell you i haven't watched most of spring training i just didn't see you know i know that people talk about hitting in bad luck and he hit the ball to the warning track you know yesterday he hit the ball to the warning track in in miami 
but I've also seen an awful lot of strikeouts and awful lot of ground balls to second, you know, short right, right field. So um, I know he worked hard this winter, trying to change his, his swing, trying to change his approach. And, and I know, you know, everybody gets frustrated by they see that the, every infielder on the you know right side of second base and all that gaping hole over there at third base and shortstop, you say, just hit a ground ball over there and it's going to be a base hit. Uh, but you just, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, I mean, you, just can't, you just can't do that. And I just think he's one of those guys that for whatever reason, um, you know, the, the age is cut up to him a lot quicker and a lot more, you know, sudden than a lot of happens with a lot of guys. So um, I, I think you're going to see him primarily be a pinch hitter, be a part-time player and just, Hope that he can, you know, get something fall get falls every once in a while. Um, and another guy that struggled, although he had a, a big play yesterday, Tyler O'Neill. A lot yeah. of strikeouts from him. Um, yeah, I was real encouraged by him in spring training. I thought he played. I thought he looked much better. Looked like a different player was taking the ball to right field a lot more. Wasn't striking out as much. And then you get into the regular season and he gets a home run on opening day. You thought, okay, you know, he's going to keep doing what he did in the spring. And then he's kind of not done a whole lot since. Uh, and the, the play yesterday, he kind of got a little bit lucky on because it was he hit it into the sh- you know the shift. But because of the shift, they didn't really have a guy ready to cover second base. And Jerome Williams got it. His credit got a good jump on the ball and beat the play to second. So there was no play at second. By then, the, the you know second baseman had the ball. Replacement Colton you know Colton Long after he got hurt, you know didn't it wasn't it quick enough to get you know O'Neill who's very fast running the first. So it was a base hit, but it also was a ground ball that could have been you know easily been an out. Yeah, that's that's the one thing with O'Neill. I think that he plays so hard that he would be such an asset if it wasn't for the strikeouts. You know, if the if the power would come together. Um, what kind of concern do you have for DeYoung? I'm just not sure he's a cleanup hitter. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you know his numbers with runners in scoring position is not that good. I mean, he was one of those guys. You know, but three guys did him. I mean, him, Arnado, and and. Uh, Goldschmidt yesterday, you know, after Edmund gets the triple to, to lead off the ball game, then you just leave him standing there. That was, you know, a, a frustrating thing. So um, they like him there. I mean, he's going to get opportunities. They're not going to make any, you know, knee-jerk reactions to, you know, uh, poor starts or, you know, a bad week of, of play. So, I mean, he's going to be the cleanup hitter for going forward. But as we already talked about, I think they may have some other options that at some point they need to try. Um, you're talking about knee jerk reactions and stuff. We saw Jerome Williams get a, you know, the starts in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. um, and he struggled, but then of course didn't get a lot of playing time in Miami. Is this going to be a, you know, kind of off and on type of thing, especially if they're trying to get Carpenter in the lineup? I think for the next couple of weeks, they'll probably bill. I think that'll change when Bader comes back. Because I think when, when Bader comes back, assuming that he's healthy and can play, you know, he's going to get the majority of the starts in the center and Dylan will move back over to right. I'm pretty pretty confident about that so so his his playing time and dean's playing time will be you know much more restricted um once that happens assuming that bader can play and and i still think lane thomas is going to factor in here at some point i think you know he's at the alternate side camp he started out spring training really well he was one of the guys that was really affected the most by covid last year uh, and that came after you know 19 season when he was really good and then broke his hand right the early september which cost him a lot of chances to play later that season and in the in the playoffs so I, I don't think they're ready to write off Lane Thomas. So if he can go over to the alternate side camp and kind of get, you know, get some reps in there and we'll take advantage of the next opportunity that he gets. I, I still kind of think he could be a guy that can, can factor in here at some point. Speaking of the alternate camp, I mean, we didn't get a lot of information out of that last year. I assume yeah. we probably won't a lot this year. What do you, what do you think they're going to, are they able to develop much that way? Do you think? Yeah, I think this is primarily, this is different than last year because mm-hmm. this is basically just a holding area for, for guys that would be in spring training anyway. You know, as long as when they delayed the minor league seasons uh, to start until May, this is basically the AAA roster right now that's training over there. So they would just be playing games, you know, getting ready to play games in spring training. So the, the whole, whole idea behind it and the, the fact that it's only there for one month is basically to be a protection for the big league club in case of COVID. Uh, I mean, it case really case a little bit of injuries too, but, you know, they didn't want somebody playing in Memphis or be on the road in Texas or someplace and somebody gets hurt in Pittsburgh and they have to try to get them on a commercial flight and fly there and just expose, you know, be exposed to the risk and stuff. So it's a much more controlled environment. They've all had their shots, uh, just like the big league club over there. They got, I think, on set last Saturday. So, you know, they're they're clean to go. And, and if there's a need that they'll just pop right over to the to big league club. But by the middle, by early May, they think that the, you know, enough of the people around the country will be more vaccinated. And, and hopefully that, you know, we start to see this thing kind of 
go away a little bit. So they'll be more apt to be able to, to get a guy on a plane, a commercial plane and fly somewhere if he needs to be there. So it, it's going to be totally different than, you know, what they went through last summer. Yeah. 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 And again, hopefully by May, knock on all sorts of wood, we are doing a lot better with that. Um, a little bit surprised they didn't make a move this week with uh, to bring Cody Whitley up after Jake Woodford pitched so much. Are they still good covering innings in that regard? Do you think? I think they're so. I mean, Woodford's you know young enough and good enough that he can he can bounce back pretty quick. And so I think they just didn't see the need to to make that swap. I think we're gonna they're gonna have to make a decision what they're gonna do when when Kim comes back if they're gonna go ahead and expand to fourteen pitchers. I think the roster has to be set for ten days except for an injury when you start the season. So they couldn't really just do a swap oh, you know, for one for one unless there was somebody who was hurt. So, um, but I think once, once they get past that and then once they decide, you know, Kim's coming back, are they going to go to a six man rotation, which is possible. Although I don't think it'll be a strict six man rotation. I think it'll just be a guy that they try to spot in here and there and how they use the off days and things like that. So, uh, but they, they have talked about the possibility that they would go to 14 pitchers, especially if it also kind of comes at about the same time that Bader comes back because then you may not need, you know, that extra bat as well. So does 14 pitchers mean that Woodford doesn't go to Memphis to start? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know for sure how they're going to do that yet. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on who else they think. If you know, like, Well, for example, if Gant or Ponce de Leon moves out of the rotation and Kim comes back, then they could become the long man. In the yeah. So that would free Woodford up okay. to start at Memphis. Yeah, and Memphis rotation whenever they get to get started is probably going to be a pretty good one. I mean, with- yeah, I think that the interesting thing is going to be where they put Libertor and Thompson to start. Um, you know, I could see them starting in Springfield simply because they didn't haven't pitched at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, that's still a, a new level for them. Um, and they got guys like like Elviedo will be at Memphis, Tommy Parsons will be at Memphis. If you put Woodford in Memphis, then I think you know you could probably. I think Anthony Shue is still there. I mean, they've got, you know, some other guys for those back end spots. So I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if you start Levator and Thompson both in Springfield. Do you think either one of them makes a debut this year? I mean, yes. Well, you think both of them? Yes. Okay. Late, uh, late in the year? I would say, depending, depending on injuries, depending on performance, but I would think they hope probably to see them in September. Hmm. I get there, get a, you know, just get a, a you know, got a cup of coffee, you know, start or two in, in September and then, you know, turn them loose next spring. See what happens. We know, I feel like we know a lot of the Cardinal um, prospects on the pitching side, but mm-hmm. now that Dylan Carlson is up and playing every day, who's the top hitting prospect in your mind? Is it Gorman? Nolan, or Gorman. Somebody else? Nolan Gorman. Yeah. I, I think he's still up there. I think you'll see him potentially. You could see him in September too. But I do think you'll see him at some point in 2022 playing up here. Question will be where. He'll be helped by the fact that there will be a DH next year, assuming we're having next year and we're not in a labor lockdown <laughs> situation, uh, which will be disastrous for baseball. But, you know, he he's going to play second, I think, quite a bit. I think he'll start in Springfield, too. He'll be playing third some because they got to protect themselves in case Arnado decides to opt out, even though I don't think he will. But I think he was going to get a lot of reps at second base too. And he could also play the outfield if he had to. So he's going to, if he hits, he'll play. And the fact that he's left-handed hitter, you slide right into the middle of that lineup. I think if, if he can do what everybody thinks he can do, will be a big addition. So he's number one. And I think the second best position player prospect probably is Yvonne Herrera, the 20 year old catcher from Panama, who probably depending on, you know, if we're talking five years from now or whenever Molina decides to stop playing, um, you know, we'll be the next guy up. Uh, he's close to Yadi Yadi. He likes him a lot. Um, he's going to take him under his wing. So he's going to start at Springfield, I'm pretty sure, too. So he's he's legitimately probably a couple years uh, away, but they, they're really high on him. Both. Primarily a little bit ahead of off, his offense. is a little bit ahead of his defense at this point, but he's gotten a lot better defensively as well. Which, I mean, if we're talking catchers, you got to talk about the issues of Andrew Kisner being the backup catcher. He's had two at-bats already this year, which is more than most backup catchers <laughs> to Yachty have gotten. Um, are the Cardinals going to be able to negotiate and get him enough time to be a develop, or is he just going to kind of rot on the vine a little bit? I They keep saying they will. You know, we had that conversation in spring training with John Mozalek, and he said that that's something they have to address. They have to be a transition. I asked Shield about it the other day when they had the day game in Miami, and, you know, the last game in Miami coming home. I thought that would be a game you could slot Kisner in there, but Yachty was playing. So, 
you know, they, they, they claim they are, and it's tough for, you know, that they have, you know, they had a day off last week. They have a day off this week. So Yachty is getting rest. There was a day off the next week too. So but some of those early days off probably kept Kisner from being in the lineup, you know, for a couple of times. But once we get here into, you know, May, June, you know, get a, you know, 15, 18 games in a row, then I think he's got to play some. And I mean, it's, it's still early, obviously, but Yachty looks really good. He's and playing that, really well. And, and, and when he's playing well, you want him to play. I mean, that's just, you know, not only for, for offense, but just the way he calls the game. The pitchers have so much confidence in him, and they do in Kisner, too. I mean, I think Kisner's really improved himself defensively. I mean, he's always been kind of an offensive-oriented catcher as well. But, you know, he's, he's gotten better defensively with his way he can catch and throw. So I, I have no problem with him being the backup catcher. I, I And I would like to see him get, you know, one to two starts a week just because I think it – Makes you know, gives Yachty a little more rest. It should make him better down the stretch and not burn him out. But he's he's off to a great start. So what are you going to say? Yeah, and uh, is is do you think that the fact that he didn't play 150 games last year with you know the shortened season and then of course being out with COVID anyway has rejuvenated him a little bit? It might have. Yeah, I, I just think he's. You know, I think he might have got his kind of nose a little bit out of joint that it took so long for him to sign, mm. and, that, and that maybe he didn't get the two-year, you know, big money offers from some other teams that he thought he might get on the free agent market. So maybe he's got a little chip on his shoulder too. Well, got to really. I think he always has a chip on his shoulder for sure, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So, um, any, any, Alan, you got any last thoughts for for Rob um, before I'd, I'd like to, see, you know, get his ideas on on how the season's going to go. But anything else? Well, you know, as a season ticket holder here in Tulsa who goes to a lot of the Springfield games when they're in town, is there any chance you've pretty much built out a dream roster for me to, to see them come through? Can can Delvin Perez make that team as well? That's going to be interesting. He was, you know, you talk about guys that look good in spring training. Now, I know he didn't get a whole lot of chance to play, but, man, he, he really changed his physical appearance. He, he looked like yeah. he, he spent that winter in, or off season last year without playing in the weight room and got a lot stronger. So if, if that – work can translate to being more successful offensively, you know, maybe they, they still have something there because he's still young. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they slot him. If they try to challenge him with starting out in double A, or if they want him to maybe get a little more confidence first and put him back in, in Peoria, which will be the high A team this year instead of the, the low A team. Uh, I could see that too, but I, I'd give him a shot at Springfield and see what you could do. I mean, I'd, no, I'd love to see it. I want to see what put John Torres too. I mean, he's, he's kind of the next outfield, the next outfield prospect, a young guy too, that they could, you know, I, I suspect he'll probably start in Peoria, but I wouldn't be surprised you see him in Springfield before the end of the year. Wow. Well, I, what, I mean, what do you think looking forward? What do you expect for out of this team of the, the next month, two months? I think they'll be, Good. I mean, I think, you know, I think the starting pitching will, will rebound a little bit. I think they'll kind of get get their uh, legs under them a little bit and, and kind of maybe go, you know, maybe not seven, eight innings because then you don't really need to go past six innings with this bullpen. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get six solid innings out of your starter most nights, I think they're going to have a good shot yeah, to win. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you get Hicks to where he can come back and pitch, you know, not, you know, every day, but, you know, three times a week, four times a week, you know, and, and you got Reyes right there. I mean, right now, Reyes is the closer, but I still think they want to transition Hicks back into that role because they think they can use Reyes in a lot of other ways, you know, to, to you know kind of get him closer to that 80 to 100 inning mark that they talked about in the spring to get him ready to potentially be a starter next year. So how they handle him and how they transition that is going to be something to, to watch a little bit. But Gallegos has looked really strong to this point. You know, they, they like what they got in, in Webb and Cabrera. So this bullpen is uh, is pretty deep, I think. Helsley, you know, has had a couple of kind of so-so outings, but, you know, I still think they're high on, on him as well. And I think, I think you know, the whole key to me is is I think you know what Arenado is going to do. I think you know what Goldschmidt is going to do. I really kind of think you have an idea what Dylan Carlson is going to do. Um, but to me, it's the other two guys in the outfield, no matter who it is. It, it's just they've got to get some out, some production out of those other two spots in the outfield. Is that a spot you expect that if they don't get anything, that they make a deal? I want them to trade for Joey Gallo. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Left-handed cleanup bat like that would be massive. But um, that's just that's just me. I, I always want them to make trades that they don't make. So <laughs> yeah. you know, they don't usually listen too much. But you know, I like you know, I want them to trade for Arenado. I want to trade for Goldschmidt. They did both of those things. So. Uh-huh. Um, 
But I think, you know, they're going to, they're committed to giving these guys a chance to play. They're committed to finding out what they've got. I mean, they didn't feel like last year was a fair shot with the COVID situation, with the, with the shortened season. So they really, you know, moving Fowler gave them another opportunity to, to kind of, you know, give another spot open to somebody. I think the Bader, Bader has to prove that he can be more than a 200 hitter too. I mean, no matter how great a defensive player he is in, in center field, you know, I think Dylan's proven that he could play there. I think Lane Thomas can play center field. So they have some options out there, too, that Bader's going to have to hit. So you know, this is a big year for him. It's a big year for O'Neill. I think it's a big year for, for Williams and Dean. You know, all those guys, because they're not all going to still be here, I think, after this year. They're going to start creaming that crop a little bit. Yeah, well, and especially with so many free agents and, and other money that comes off the books, it's a, it's a good chance next year to – to give a kind of a facelift if their people are struggling. And, and again, you know, then too, I mean, maybe they, they've got another guy that can move in there. If, if, you know, if Gorman, if they're committed to keeping Gorman in the infield, then you got Edmund in that outfield mix too, for, for going forward, as good as a defensive player as he is in the infield, you know, maybe they sacrifice a little bit of the defense for, for offense, you know, it depends on how everybody else is doing. No, no decisions are made in a vacuum. You know, every decision is based on this school. Well, if this guy does that, and then this guy does that, you know, it, it's a multiple faceted, decisions when they make player decisions like that yeah yeah it's probably a good thing they're making them instead of alan and i for sure uh, <laughs> guarantee that uh rob it's been a lot of fun talking to you tonight uh appreciate you joining us and, and hopefully we can do it again sometime my pleasure thanks for having me thanks sir Alisaev, the second for one the double play what a double play by ozzy smith oh mercy and our thanks to Mr. Rains for joining us. Again, if you're at stlouissportspage.com, if you haven't signed up for his newsletter or want to do the reading. I like a lot of what I like about Robbie. He's also, like he said, he can write about what he wants to. And he often, I mean, he has an article up there now about the, the Carlsons getting a chance to watch their son play. Um, he often seems to be able to get the family angles a lot of times, and that's pretty pretty cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's a great follow. It's uh, I, I love the website. Like I said, I, I grew up on the coverage, so it yeah. uh, I've always said it was good. And he, he does a lot of the uh, you know top ten issues, top ten benefits, and and things like that that are really good quick reads. But usually carry a lot, have some pretty heavy information. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny when he talked about the the part of the website starting about twenty twelve. Uh, they actually sponsored, I think, the very well the second. Uh, blogger dinner um, they uh, helped pay for the room and came to the event and brought stuff that was promoting their website and things like that uh, which was really cool uh, and to to do that you know a guy that's been doing this forever uh, to help us out a little bit was was pretty cool yeah that's awesome yeah so again we we've talked a lot about a little bit about some of this with Rob but we wanted to get into a few other issues or a few different details just just Alan and I um, especially about the the opener, but even more about the week uh, that's going on. And one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about was the return of Colton Wong. Um, I think it was everything we expected, wasn't it? I mean, he got the applause and I, I don't know. It was, it was good to see Colton Wong, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was nice. It was uh, that the first at bat, you could tell how much fun he was having during the introductions. <laughs> yeah. And then the first at bat, one of those, it was, it, it, it boy, he got misty watching that. You know what I mean? Because he's, he's such an emotional player anyway. So you knew it, that it had the possibility of happening. Um, I kind of wish I had remembered to ask Rob about, uh, did Wainwright give him those four benders on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's one of those situations where I was thinking. I mean, they're competitors and they have jobs yeah. to do. I, but it does it does kind of make you wonder a little bit. I I hate it for him that he's hurt. You know, because it, it could have been a pretty good weekend. But uh, yeah, I, I I think that it was great. It's it's also another one of those situations where he probably deserves a bigger crowd in that type of situation. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. but but yeah, it was it was awesome and it was nice to have him back. And it worries me because I think that Bre- that Brewers lineup's pretty dang good. Yeah, and I, you know, we've talked about it. I think I know I talked about it with uh, the guys on the uh, Nasty Nine podcast that I was on earlier this week. I, I completely expect Colton Wong to burn the Cardinals a few times this year. And you're right. I hate, I, I have a feeling, given that he set out what, Wednesday with an oblique, with the oblique, he probably wouldn't have played it any other game on Thursday. But there was no way he was missing that game. Yeah. I mean, you know, without a full body cast, he was going to be in that game. And I do hate 
then it looks like he'll probably miss the rest of the series and, and may have to go on the, on the injured list because of that. Um, but I am glad that he got that time. And you're right. I mean, it's the same thing with, with Arenado yeah. hitting that home run. And, you know, yeah, 13,000 people can make a lot of noise. And he obviously was a big moment and it's huge, but it can't compare to 40,000, you know, going nuts, can it? No, no, no. And that, that was the one thing is it, nothing was really going to cloud my my opening day. It was so awesome yesterday, even with the dan- even with the, the light crowds and everything. We all know the circumstances. But, uh, man, it just takes away from it when you don't have the fans right on everybody, especially the introductions. Yeah. You know, it's it, you can't beat it, Bush, you know, with the with the Clydesdales and, and the and the Hall of Famers and all that. But it, it stinks because you would have really have liked Arnato and Nogowski and the newcomers to experience that. I mean, Nogowski Williams, that may be their only one, you know, type situation. Right. And uh, it's one of those that's in the back of your mind the whole time. But I mean, the beauty of the game and that's, you know, it's, it's, it's romantic and the things that we talk about, but it's just that the fans make it and that, that took away a little bit. And that was just another example of, of how I felt about the, the Wong situation. Yeah, you're right. I mean, everybody's talking about, you know, telling Nolan to enjoy it and, and, and soak it in. And that's true. Um, but yeah, I would just, I mean, I think next year, assuming that they can have the you know, real, <laughs> real opening day with 40,000 with the, um, with the hall of famers there. Uh, I mean, they were there, but they were off way off in the distance, you know, to yeah. be able to go through the line and, and shake hands with Ozzy Smith and Scott Rowland and, you know, the legends that are still there. And obviously it's a little bit different because <clears throat> over the last few years, you know, you, you've, what the last what's it been it's getting close to it's a six or seven now you've lost stan you lost red you've lost gibby you've lost lou so some of that legendary status isn't there i mean there's still legendary cardinals there and ozzy's ozzy um but you know those idols that every kid had even if they weren't in the st louis area uh, are maybe not as as strong anymore but still to be able to go through and shake hands with and and to to be with Jim Edmonds and you know Tim McCarver and and people like that is is something different and special and this year was great next year I think will be even better for them yeah absolutely I mean it's uh this was a taste of getting back to what what could be you know and it makes like I said like I said before the show I mean it's uh I'm not gonna take this stuff for granted anymore Right. You know, I'm I'm trying to watch as much baseball as I can for those kind of reasons this year, just because you know you need to see how easy it uh, can be taken away. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, this week, a bit, you know, obviously last year, last week we were recorded, we were really excited because we'd had that opening day in Cincinnati, and then the next two days, man, it just kind of fell apart. Um, and the Miami series, they swept it, but it never felt comfortable. Um. It really feels like, I don't want to say it's a re- repeat of the last two or three years with that offense, but in some regards, it really is. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and it's one of those, to me, I, I hate making a judgment on that, but you're right. You're seeing a lot of the same trends, but I I feel bad for the for the Cardinals, and it's tough to say that for about a big league team but whatnot, but those guys haven't been home in two months. Right. And they go to Florida to go to freezing cold Cincinnati, to go back to Florida, to go back to St. Louis. And it was one of those where I just kind of told myself, hey, this first week of games is just kind of a wash. You know, you want to see them come out of it. For me, to see them come out of it in a situation where they were 4-2, and two, that was pretty big because I would thought, hey, a 500 road trip would uh, – that's a, that's a big win, I think, especially under the circumstances mm-hmm. with the new guys. And you have you have six games of just uncommon playing times from what you're used to. You have all the pomp and circumstance of – of new uh, of the uh, the openers here and there, and it's just it, it's just tough. But then it starts to, to me. I, I feel like I start making excuses because a lot of the things that we have seen are stuff that that we did see last year. Um, the, yeah, the top of the lineup has been great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know what? I agree with Rob. I mean, I it has kind of won me over a little bit to do the two three combo, and I'm a I'm a fan of Edmund, so I think the top of the lineup is going to be pretty stout. 
aesthetically, I just think it looks terrible with the young. And anybody who listens to this knows I'm a huge the young fan. Yeah, yeah. I just wish they would relieve a little bit of pressure off of him. I would love to see. Man, I know it's not going to happen if they if they're not willing to move Carlson up at a, at a rapid pace at this point to where he could probably hit in the top of the lineup or possibly clean up just because that's the way that uh, that that's the way it just it looks more aesthetically pleasing to do it. They're definitely not going to do Williams if he gets on a hot streak. I would just like to have a left-handed bat in that situation because I think that that's going to be that will ultimately be a uh, matchup problem as they go down the line. But, you know, like I've said, I think that they're committed to DeYoung. I like that. I kind of wish they would alleviate a little bit of pressure off of him. But, I mean, that it still seems to be those same tired at bats a little bit, and that's concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, we talked about it. I think I wrote it. I saw somebody mention it on Twitter. It may have been Brian Kaufman. Um, Brian Kaufman, I mean. But um, it may be. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I mentioned it this morning. You know, his exit velocity is down to about as low as it's been in his career uh, for Paul DeYoung. Um, granted, that's, you know, that's this last week, and you're right, weather changes and things, like, you know, it's a small sample, and, and it could improve. But it's, you know, he's just not great. I mean, because that's part of what we've, and you and I talked about this earlier in the week, you know, part of the problems we've had with DeYoung in the past, we could always say, well, he never gets a day off, and here we are in August, and he's struggling. But you know, it's, you can't do that the first week. I mean, he can't be tired there. And we saw some of that a little bit last year, even, even the fact that you don't, I mean, it was the shortened season and he still kind of struggled at times. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm like you, I don't really care for him being in that cleanup spot. We talked about that before the season started. We didn't really want to see that happen. And um, it has now Carlson moved from eighth to sixth yesterday. I would guess He's going to bat six for a couple more days, but that may change too. I mean, it really depends on Goldschmidt. It sounds like Mike Schmidt, Mike Schultz, um, just almost last minute, you know, found out about Goldschmidt. And so just, you know, let Carpenter stay in the second spot because he didn't want to rewrite the lineup. And <laughs> that bothers me just a little bit. You know, I get the idea of, you know, you like some of the other pieces, but, Matt Carpenter doesn't need to be uh, doesn't need to be hitting fifth, which is where he was. He definitely doesn't need to be hitting second. Um, and and if you're going to hit him second, you better have a better reason than, well, Goldschmidt's out and he's taking Goldschmidt's spot, so we're going to put him in there. Yeah, that's uh, it, it, that's <laughs> it. Does feel like just a uh, a racing right in type situation mm-hmm. sometimes. I would love to hear Schultz. Um, maybe I should be paying attention a little bit more to the post game. And maybe some more of the pregame to find out, you know, his kind of thinking on some of those things. Because a lot of these places that that uh, that they that Carpenter's placed in the lineup are the ones that I always feel like you put somewhere to really try to get them to take off. That they're going to take advantage of the matchups a little bit. I've always said that about the five spot in the order. And uh, I that one did not bother me as much for that reason. I thought that I was like, okay, I could see where they're trying to get him charged up a little bit. But uh, – yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it's just a weird fit right now, it, especially how I think that that's the back-to-back switch hitters at the top of the lineup would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And they're just kind of staying away from that. Uh, I'd like to hear some of the reasons reasons behind it. And, you know, to, to go back down the lineup, just break it up. I know that they've broken it up a little bit. But, you know, to me, I'm going to take the speed out of it, take the base running out of it and stuff like that. But is, is the, young, the young and O'Neill have a lot of the same profile? You know, kind of that all or nothing. And that leads to a lot of high strikeouts. To have them back-to-back bothered me in the beginning anyway. That's, yeah. You know, and it's, that's one of those where it's kind of to me where you don't want to see it, but it makes sense to hit Molina fifth on those situations because you know what you're going to get out of the other two a lot of time. We do need to pause for just a moment because we've just had history. Made. Yes. Um, the Padres, who had never had a no-hitter, in their career have just thrown their first Joe Musgrave, who was obviously brought in this year, kind of the afterthought after uh, Snell and um, Darvish comes out. No, hits the the Rangers. Pretty cool. I mean, I didn't know anything about it till just a minute ago. So uh, yeah, I pulled it up. I know you've probably been watching it and, and not telling me about it so that you didn't jinx it, but um, it's, you know, uh, one, a little early uh, and two, still pretty cool to, to see one of those. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know the first thing that pops into my mind on these things? What are the Pirates doing? Think yeah. about the rotation they could have had. Yeah. That could I mean, be Musgrove, Tyon, Glass now. Pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. And I the figuring out the Pirates is a totally rough. <laughs> yeah, it's the first thing that popped into my mind. I was like, yeah. oh, my goodness. There are times where you see some of that, and you say, okay, well, they're trying to save money, but, you know, some of that's not – they weren't that expensive. I mean, Musgrove uh, definitely wasn't, I don't think. Musgrove, I don't think he was terribly yeah. much, and, of course, they traded away Meadows in a deal. To, they yeah. added, added salary in that deal. So, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they aren't planning on winning and some idea of building a team and blah, 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 but you got to wonder about the – the mindset or the the skills of the front office and i know they've kind of changed a few people here and there but yeah that's uh that's a rough situation i also wonder it has we haven't i don't think we've noticed it as much as much as i expected do you think no hitters are going to become a little bit more common just because it's really almost a three two outcomes game Mm, man i don't know you know the the first thing that that I thought about when when you were asking that question is uh, no because you're not going to see many complete games. And that's true too. You know that that's the it's, but you know I don't know. I mean it, it they didn't seem to hesitate, you know, leaving him in tonight. So, I'm not sure. Now, I was kind of mad because I knew what I knew what was going on, but the blackout rules did not allow me to watch it. Oh, I tried yeah. To, I, yeah, I tried to watch it after the Braves game, but I couldn't. I was going to turn it on, you know, behind me and of course, I get blacked out here on those. So yeah, I was following. Yeah, on. I would have. I would think I would if it was on the. I do get the Valley Sports, I guess now Southwest, or if that's what they still have. Yeah, on my actual package, and then I have to pay more to get the Valley Midwest. But sure. um, so I think it might have been on TV, but it's not on this. Not in here, and obviously doing the show, I yeah. thought better not be watching the game too. But um, I get too distracted. I'm not like you, so. Um, <laughs> Um, anyway, that's just really cool. I mean, it was, I mean, the Padres, I think they're the only team that hadn't thrown one now, right? Well, except for the Mets who've only thrown one and it's like, quote, quote, no hitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, officially I think they were the only ones that had never thrown one and it's pretty cool that Musgrove is a, a Padre or a San Diego native. So yeah. hats off to him. Pretty cool. Um, hopefully we'll see, uh, you know, it's funny. The last time the Cardinals threw a no hitter, it was out San Diego, right? Bud Smith. Um, we'll see if we see another one. I, I don't. You're right. I, with pitchers not going deep, I mean, it's hard. To, I mean, you like to think Jack Flaherty's got the stuff. We saw him flirt with them last year, but um, you'd have to have a game nowadays where you didn't strike out a lot of batters, and and then you do run the risk um, if you're striking a lot of guys. That pitch count gets up and. Manager makes a tough decision these days, leaving a guy in over 120, 110 pitches. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's one of those. It, it, I love to see when they then when they uh, run with it like this. I just, I mean, I, I God, this could get long. But then you look at Snell and how easy he could have finished a World Series game last year. And didn't right? Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there's a lot of different philosophies out there. So. Anyway, um, I have no idea where we were now on the Cardinals, but um, yeah, hopefully they move. You know, if if Goldschmidt's out, and I would, I would almost bet, and I'm going to look very badly at this by the time the show comes out or pretty soon after. Uh, I'd almost bet that Goldschmidt doesn't play tomorrow. Um, and if that's the case. I would not be too surprised to see Carlson in that second spot yeah. just in front of Arenado tomorrow. Don't know that it'll be a long-term thing. Obviously if Goldschmidt comes back, then they'll put him right back in there. But if, you know, if they let him play there and Goldie's out for say Saturday and Sunday, and he does well in that second spot, it may be a little easier for them to move him to four or five when Goldschmidt comes back. And hopefully that helps line up up. Yeah, yeah, I, that that would make sense. It, it would take, it would probably take something like that right now. And you know, and we're fretting, and they're five and two. You know, that's that's right. what that, I mean, and I mean it. That's what we do. I mean, that's as fans, yeah. that's what we do. I'm not, I'm not saying that's such a negative, but but they're they're gonna say that hey, well, you know, we're five and two right now, and 
you know, two of our losses came against the team that's lost once, right. you know, it's, it's one of those things. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, Zach and Rob have both said Zach last week and Rob this week have both said that this is going to be the lineup for a long time and they're going to run with it until they just probably can't anymore. And, and uh, which is just slightly disappointing just because I feel like they have the pieces to where they could do it and, and it'd be beneficial across the board. And, you know, I keep using this word, but aesthetically it looks so nice with the two, uh, uh, switches at the top of the lineup and the two masters at three and four, but uh, you know we may not see that for a while. But 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 I think that you uh, hit the nail on the head. If 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 Goldschmidt is out, I do think that's probably the direction they would go. I I mean, performance says that's probably where they should. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit, and I wait. I don't want to go too much farther on this. Um, don't want to to make this too long of a show, but. I do want to talk a little bit about the stuff that came out yesterday after the game uh, with Adam Wainwright saying that, you know, kind of that Nolan Arenado was sending videos <laughs> for the last year or two. And apparently Arenado was only half serious about Wainwright pushing them on to Mo, but obviously Wainwright <laughs> was not, it was not crazy and did, you know, I, it just really feels like, you know, people talk about, well, the Cardinals got a steal. I think that, and to some degree, the Rockies didn't have a whole lot of a choice because that's where Nolan wanted to go. He wanted to go to St. Louis, and I think that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that says a lot. I mean, we we'd always heard those rumors, and you never know, but uh, they were pretty much substantiated. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I was going, man, he's he's gotten to the point where he's just going to say whatever he you know he thinks. You oh, know, yeah. and he's not going to think he's not going to overthink these things and he's just going to kind of let it slip. Not that he's loose lipped. It's just that he's, he is Adam Wainwright and he can do that. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Here's what's what's I, now I will tell you on our show before some things that I had said about, uh, Rocky's, um, management drew some pushback from Rocky's fans. And it was a long time ago. It was probably four or five mm-hmm. years ago. And it was an MLB or a minor league writer that really took some, it took, yeah, some things that we said, I, me in particular, about it and, and ran with it. Here was, I can tell you this because I heard it every day. One of the knocks of Arnado in the early days is that he didn't work that hard mm-hmm. and that uh, there was a little bit of issues with that. And uh, they pushed him pretty hard in the organization. And uh, he took off after that. And, you know, that's I, I've heard that from the horse's mouth several times. But to hear that he's sending out those videos, even by mistakes, amazing to me because you can see the emotion after he hit the bomb the other day. That man, none of that's fake. You know, yeah. that's that's pretty legitimate, and somebody got a bad read on him somewhere. But uh, but yeah, I can see that. It's it, it it leads me to believe that things were as toxic there there as we expected them to be. Yeah, you know, watching watching our daughter yesterday, he, I mean, it's not like the first time. But he did remind me of Scott Rowland. And not that Rowland was the demonstrative type that an Arenado is, but he still paid with that, you know, passion, that full bore, give it everything you've got. Um, maybe it's maybe it's a little bit more of Edmonds who did get a little bit more excited than Arenado did, uh, or than uh, Rowland did. But, you know, you saw that. I mean, it was just, I mean, well, we saw it earlier this week, right? I mean, on Saturday of last week when they had the big fight, you know, like the first guy in the mix of that. And he's fired up Um, for a guy that, you know, he may have only spoken to Woodford like twice in his life, (laughs) but it was his team. And that's what it, that's what it really boils down to. He has embraced the team. It's almost like he's been a Cardinal his whole entire life. Right. And now, I mean, it's kind of what he feels like. I mean, he's still learning the ropes, but, he is 100% committed. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. <laughs> you know, O'Neill had the misplay and then had the uh, the throw through the bag in, uh, I believe it was Monday in Miami. And, uh, you know, Nolan missed it and, and everything. And, I mean, that's one of those that probably needs to be knocked down. But it, he thought that O'Neill was going to – or that DeYoung was going to cut off. It was just a poor throw, essentially. It just rushed. And you could kind of tell that everybody had that we made dad mad type <laughs> feeling with Arnado. You, you know what I mean? He just he carries himself. You can just tell that he was angry, and it wasn't directed at anybody. But yeah. you know the people like it seems like they're mad at themselves, but it's it, it kind of radiates to the world. I was like, man, he demands a lot of uh, respect. 
you can just tell that he does with his team already, and that that tells me a lot. And then his reaction after the homer yesterday was, man, that was that was crazy. I mean, not only going around the bases was he fired up, but in that dugout they were, you know. Yeah. And I was like, ah, this could be something pretty special. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know, like, like Rob said, you know, I don't expect him to opt out, and I think the more we hear, the less likely it is. I mean, he really. He did his research. He wanted to be in St. Louis, and he's not doing that just to be here for a year and then see what he can get, you know, on the on the market. Um, so it's been fun. It's been fun to see him. I mean, it, he has. I mean, well, that's the the home run was big. Um, it was obviously awesome, but you know, he's been productive the whole time. I mean, he's probably been the most consistent bat. Well, maybe maybe short of Goldschmidt. Um, that the Cardinals have had. And like we said, you know, after Ozuna struggling to get here and after Jason Hayward not really panning out and some other bigger names that they've brought, even Goldschmidt his first year was good, but not necessarily what you expected. To have a guy come in and really kind of take off from the, the get-go is is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as advertised. I mean, you could say that they've fairly easy. Yeah. All right. Well, there's probably more we could talk about, but the show's getting a little long again. So as, as we do when we get going, um, Alex, is there anything, <laughs> anything out of this week though that we haven't talked about? Your you wanna to, to point out? Uh, no, I think that we beat up on the outfield enough, and let's give them another week before, <laughs> before we jump on them again. Yeah, I mean it is a little bit interesting. We saw Alec Reyes back to back days, um, which mm-hmm. is one way to get those in. So innings, awesome. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean to be able to see him healthy and little did settle in. Um, you know, Helsley, Helsley's even he had a, a good outing, um, recently too. So yeah, his body language is a little bit better in Miami. You know, he got out of a jam and I was like, well, if they extend this to, to any more guys pitching, well, this is going to be lethal. This bullpen. Yeah. Is. Yeah. That's, uh, especially after Woodford, you know, I don't know how much we'll see of him just because of the situations. Sure. Although, you know, it depends on what Gavin Ponce do next time out. But um, you switch him out with Whit- with Whitley and, yeah, you only need five innings out of your starters. And that's, yeah. that's a good thing. So, all right. Well, Alan and I, next week we have um, Benjamin Hawkman from the Post-Dispatch, the columnist. Uh, Ben's also got, Benjamin's also got a book coming out. Um, and we'll talk to him a little bit about that. Um, but until then, that's Alan. I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night. Suter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals.